when I saw him, it was like I was seeing a ghost. Like every trigger I've ever pulled. A fully CG human has long been considered among the most difficult of visual effects challenges. And today, we're talking with the wizards that created the fully CG Will Smith, featured in Ang Lee's new thriller, Gemini Man. In the story, Smith stars as Henry, an elite assassin who is hunted by a clone of his younger self. To talk about this work, joining me are two-time Oscar-winning visual effects supervisor Bill Westenhofer, who reteams with Lee after a life of Pi and the creation of its famous CG tiger, and three-time Academy Award-nominated visual effects supervisor Guy Williams, he comes from Weta, Peter Jackson's New Zealand-based visual effects house that did the work on this film. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to the Hollywood Reporters Behind the Screen. So welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Let's start at the beginning. Tell us about that first conversation you had with Ang Lee when he brought the project to you and said that he wanted you to create a digital human. Bill, would you like to start? Uh, absolutely. So um, back in August of 2017, Ang came to me and said that he wanted to do for a human what we had done for a tiger. So basically to try to pull off a completely real digital human. And he asked, is it possible? Um, we talked about the project and said we had to have a young Will Smith in the same frame as an old Will Smith. So we kind of needed to go with a completely digital route instead of, you know, some kind of uh, two-pass trickery. And we, we looked at and we talked about the technology and decided that it had gotten to a point where it was close enough that we could push it the rest of the way over the line and, and uh, create the first completely believable digital person. And the first step was creating the appearance. And I know you did an enormous amount of research. Guy, would you like to start with the research? Yeah, just the, one of the challenges we had was that if we'd known 30 years ago we were going to make this film, we would have set about acquiring everything we needed to know about Will Smith 30 years ago. Hindsight being a great, you know, a great thing. But without that, we had to sort of deep dive into what we had at hand, which was photographs from then, his filmography from then. Which was actually extensive, though. Which was rather extensive, yes. He was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air for quite a few seasons. He had done Six Degrees of Separation, the first Bad Boys film, Men in Black, Independence Day. And we we looked at all those different films and used them for reference to create the uh, digital asset. Yeah, that was the good news and the bad news. The good news is that we had a lot of reference to go by. The bad news is everyone on the planet knows what Will Smith looks like. So that's that was our challenge to pull off. Not just a realistic digital person, but a realistic digital Will Smith. What did Will say when he saw what he looked like? Um, I think Will was pretty freaked out, jazzed. And, uh, you know, we all would love that moment of being able to see ourselves back uh, 20 years ago. So some of us are a little jealous. So he got to, you know, re-experience himself, which was kind of fun. There was a moment that was a lot of fun. It was something we did early on. It was not the finished model in any way sensor, but uh, we called it the Pepsi Challenge. And what we wanted to do is kind of prove to ourselves that we were on the right track. So we took a scene from... Bad Boys and Weta, you guys swapped out uh, two of the shots and didn't tell anyone which ones were, were swapped. And we did it just to test to see, you know, whether we could get away with it. And it was the first time Will saw his digital self, but not just Will. We actually brought the whole family in. So Jada and, and all the kids saw it. And it was kind of, you know, it got some giggles and some, uh, some, oh, my God, Dad, look at you. And, and you know, it was, it was just fun, 
you know, being fly on the wall to watch his family see his young self brought back to life. You know, and that was, it's funny, we look back at that and we cringe a little bit because it was right at the very beginning. The model wasn't done. It was kind of hand animated and hand lit. So, you know, it doesn't live up to the standards that we had now, but it was enough for us to look at and say, yeah, I think we have a shot at doing this. You used various techniques depending on the requirements of the given shot. For example, in the scenes where Will was playing against himself and some of the action sequences involved stunts, would you describe the different approaches that you took to the shots? Right. We did uh, kind of the original thought was that we were going to go with a completely digital person. Uh, we, you know, we discussed every technique going on. We, we asked, do we just shoot a double and replace his head? We kind of scratched that off right away. You know, guy, you can attest to when you act, it's not just your head that performs. Your whole body supports what's going on. So if you just swap the head out, there's a little bit of this weird disconnect. You know, we look like a bobblehead look. So the first thought was we were going to just do a digital person wherever Junior arrived. We did find at the very beginning of uh, pre-production that Will Smith was a very healthy 50-year-old man. So I did a test where I took uh, Will and the acting double that we had. His name is Victor Hugo. He's a 23-year-old actor who had the right build and skin tone and was an actor to play against. And I put him in the same costume doing the same poses and I painted out their heads and then showed it to Ang and to the various producers and see if they could tell the difference. Um, Ang was pretty good. He got about 60% of them right, but everyone else was about a 50-50. So we said, all right, Will can actually play himself where it makes sense. So in scenes where it's just Junior, we would have Will on set in costume wearing the camera, the head camera and the, the stuff to track his head. And then we just replace his head. In all the other shots, we would do a fully digital young Will Smith. And Guy can talk about the processes of doing both and what that meant. Yeah, I mean, um, in the very beginning, we, like Bill was saying, we started off talking about what we called the A-B approach, which was the two actors in frame at the same time. And we considered that primarily just because that was going to be the worst case scenario. That was the hardest scenario where we had to, uh, not just uh, visually because you can see both Will Smiths and you're going to be comparing them visually at the same time, but also just technically because you run into the logistics of how do you shoot the same actor twice. For the A-B approach, what we did was we shot with the, the actor double, Victor Hugo, but then in mocap, uh, we set up a mocap stage in Budapest, and at the end of the shoot, we spent a week shooting all the, the flip where we, you know, uh, the AB becomes the BA, and and Will now plays the junior role, and Victor Hugo plays the Henry role, and allows us to capture Will's performance twice in situ with uh, the proper audio playing back with with people to act against, so that he has a chance to actually craft two good performances. Right, it was really important. Will is genuinely playing both roles, you know. So when we film it for real. He's playing Henry. It was very important when we did the motion capture that we gave him every possible cue to remember what it was like. If we weren't on the actual sets. We built a mock-up of that in the mocap stage, measured out to the right thing. But like Guy was saying, we actually had on a monitor Henry playing himself, playing Henry and reading the real lines so that Will as Junior could play against himself and have like a back and forth almost, you know, and make that as feel as natural as possible to the acting because that in the end of the day, Junior, all everything you see, the nuances, the performance is Will Smith. There was no magic button to make Will act like a 23-year-old. He had to take that on himself. So that, that, that was very important that we made that acting scene as comfortable as possible so he could do that, uh, that part of it. As I recall, Ang even asked Will to, quote, act less. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I think that, that's really funny. I think that's to the credit of Will. I think Will really brought it on for Junior. You know, he didn't hold back. In fact, one of the one of the challenges that we had in 
pulling off were some of the scenes where he's giving this really emotional performance. And while he did have a lot of such things when he was playing in his youth as Fresh Prince and as that, he had this 99% of the time, this really sarcastic, happy, smiling uh, appearance to him. So we're working on these shots and we, we take the motion capture data, we put it on and we're looking at it and saying, hmm, yeah, I mean, it looks realistic, but just it doesn't look like the Will Smith that we remember. And we were wondering why and, and pulling out our hair, trying to figure out, was there something wrong with our model, with the data? And then we went and we pulled up a couple snippets of those moments where he gave a scowling face or he gave a, you know, a serious moment. We put it next to our performance and realized, no, we had captured it exactly right. It's just we haven't seen. We're getting a chance to see what the 23-year-old Will Smith would do in a very heavy, brooding, emotional performance and something that he just didn't do in the day. And you mentioned the body movement that you were testing. That is an interesting part of de-aging because it's not just the face. You know, as we age, we our bodies move differently right. too. So would you elaborate on that challenge? Yeah, well, we, we, we did challenge, you know, we had him think about that as well and try to move as a, in this case, we had in our favor that Will is still pretty healthy and he still does move pretty youthfully, but we did, we did take that. And, and uh, when we, we intentionally had uh, Victor on set to show what a 23 year old might do and just be a little more sprightly. And, and uh, just in the particular scenes we had, there weren't a lot of cases where that came up, but it was a discussion and we did have one or two situations. There's one of the, one of the scenes in the bedroom where you first see junior and just the way Victor sat on the bed had a more youthful posture than what Will did. So that, you know, we, we dialed in that case, we dialed in a little bit more of uh, of Victor's reference, but yeah, it was part of the decision to go fully digital was because we were afraid that the body, you know, Ang wanted him to be a, a really buff 23 year old guy and just making sure that the, the youthfulness came through in the body as well. Like I said, it was a consideration throughout. Let's talk about a few specific scenes. Would you elaborate on the fight they have? Oh, yeah. Would you like to talk a bit about uh, messy fighting? Yeah, yeah so uh, one of the things that Aang wanted to do was uh, in capturing the, the fights, he wanted to make sure that it didn't feel like uh, what we'd seen in every movie up until now, which is stuntmen going through a really challenging, beautiful choreography, but still a choreography. He wanted it to feel more visceral, more chaotic, more... Yeah, the term he kept uh, on using was messy. He wanted it to feel like not every punch landed perfectly, but when they did, you know, you felt it on both sides of the punch. Yeah, it's it's what happens when two stuntmen fight by design. They have to know what the other's doing so they don't actually hurt each other. And that's something that no matter how well you try not to, there's a subconscious dance. You know, you, you know when the punch is coming, so you may just slightly get out of the way. And Ang wanted to break that up, and he termed messy fighting, which is what what happens when you really street fight that, you know, you, you don't know the punch is coming and you're right there to get hit in the face. Yeah. The timing, the timing is very asymmetrical, very right. chaotic. Yeah. So, uh, for those, we actually had the stunt performers do the, they, they, the, the stunt team came up with an amazing fight sequence. We, we shot them doing the entire fight sequence. And then what we would do is in, in the mocap stage, we had them recreate the exact same fight sequence. And then for just an added layer of complexity, we had will perform both halves of the fight, uh, the fight choreography, uh, at a slower pace just so he could act it out so we could get his facial for it. Um, and then we ended up just uh, removing the stunt performance for all the messy fighting shots and just going completely digital so that we could bend the timing enough so that we could make it feel like 
it was less of a choreographed dance and more of just a visceral, you know, flat out fight. And you got samples of the stunt guys punching bags and, and hitting, you know, hitting objects. So you saw what happens to the body when you really contact something. And those things were all dialed in uh, by Paul and uh, the animation team at, uh, at WETA just to, to get that layer of realism. And it, it is, it, it's kind of brutal when you watch. They're, the elbows are actually hitting hitting the face and there's head snaps that you wouldn't get if, unless you actually had contact. So it's uh, it's something new. But yeah, it's in some of those scenes, they are... Some we were able to use the background plate, and there are others that were just completely recreated as a digital shot. So some of those shots were completely digital, yeah. and the performance was completely digital. You yes. didn't do head replacement on the no. stunt doubles. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there are some there, especially with that fighting, because we had to redo the bodies enough that it, you had to start from scratch. There's, there's a couple of shots where we did head replacements, but yeah. only a couple, just like at the very beginning, before they really get into it, and then... Yeah. Um, uh, one where he picks them up to throw them on the ground, but the rest right. of it's uh, fully digital. Right. Um, one other thing just to say is uh, a real consideration for this is the fact that we're shooting at such a high frame rate. When you shoot something at 24 frames a second, a punch takes you know one frame to go past a person's face. And you know if the person jerks his head sideways so it looks like he was punched, you get away with it because there's, there's a lot of information lost in the motion blur. At 120... You know, you, you have entire frames of the punch slowly traveling across the person's face and his jaw flying sideways and his ears starting to wobble. So we had to make sure that, that uh, we, we service the fidelity of the medium, that, that whatever the audience would see, we actually had information there for them to see. Well, yeah. you bring up the format. Ang did create this film in 120 frames per second, 4K, and for 3D. That can be unforgiving. What were the added challenges or extra things that you had to think about? Right off the bat, just the amount of information. That's uh, basically 40 times the amount. For one, for, for a normal movie, it, it frames are every 24th of a second. So for one traditional movie frame, we had 40 times the amount of data, 40 times the amount of frames captured uh, in a four- for just simple tasks like painting, painting out uh, tracking markers, that just meant the paint team had to spend so much more time. Um, so, for a, there, from a visual effects standpoint, there's a lot of extra work that goes into doing that. You can talk about how you guys handled that uh, the, side. The uh, camera tracking, and I mean, there's there's a some processes are are not quite so linear, and some are very linear. Like uh, camera tracking and roto and paint, or yeah, they work on pixels. So, the more pixels you have, the more time it takes for them to work. Um, animation and lighting are a little bit more uh, divorced from that, so they, their their time definitely goes up, but not not quite as bad. What I I think what we gained uh, for the extra, especially the extra effort you made, especially on the animation side, um, there's a uh, when you're doing computer animation, like you what you do, you work through and you, you do what's called keyframes, like every you know uh, this far along in the shot, this is the pose that the the person takes, and then few frames later, this is the pose, and then the computer kind of interpolates between that and there's a sometimes there's this softness feeling to to animation just because you're smoothing things out that way by working at this high frame rate they're being able to put all this extra detail that happens within you know a split second of frame so you know an eye blink it's not just eyes open close and and, uh, and back again they actually have the lids connecting pushing past each other a little bit and it's this little detail that you may not even see when you play it at real time, but you sense it. And it's just got this crispness and reality of the motion I think we benefited from. Yeah, in 24 frames a second, an eye blink might take three frames, right? You know, you have three frames to close them, pull them apart, and then relax them. Um, at this frame rate, where that, that same time takes 15 frames. So there's a lot more information, a lot more uh, opportunity to get into all the subtlety. And we, we actually created 
uh, something we call deep shapes, which is sort of the way uh, the motion moves through the face uh, at different depths over different speeds so that there's almost a relaxation period. So uh, the animators can animate kind of like they're used to, but then we get all this sort of follow-on animation and all this follow-on kind of physics of everything. And it just, it, it really was important for the 120 because it just gave you just even more information at 120. What it did an incredible job, and I think what leads a, a lot to the success of this is that they went into the science of things. You know, this, to try to pull off a digital person, you're getting to the realm of details that are subconscious. Like an artist looking at something can say, it's a little off, but you don't quite know what it is. They went down to, you know, the, the, the nerdy detail. Like they're, they're now amateur anatomists, basically. They modeled all the different types of melanin in the skin. They, they, they modeled an eyeball, not just as a sphere, but they, they have the a dark retina surrounded by a white uh, sclera. There's a layer of film, the conjunctiva, the yeah, that, that, that layers the eyes. But by doing all these steps, their model, no matter what they did and how they moved it, would do the right thing because the, the computer would simulate the light and create these, again, these details that you couldn't anticipate beforehand as an artist, but you had to let, you know, just like a DP doesn't know what the light is actually doing, he just puts the camera and films it. It's the same thing. If you've done the science and, and set up the simulation right, you can put the, the the digital character in the shot and put a camera up, and it just does the right thing and looks real. And that that was that's part of what uh, allowed this to progress to the level that it did. Guy, do you want to elaborate on some of those details that you studied? I was just going to make a small aside about the fact that you study a lot of information. You get a book on anatomy. You you, you try to get to the point where you, everybody can talk on a sort of level playing field because that's that's the main reason that you learn all these terms is. Instead of trying to say, yeah, that foldy part of your face, kind of, you know, just the left of those, no down, no down, no right. You actually use the proper terms for everything. <laughs> but even once you've learned all those proper terms, there's so many levels of intellect at Weta that, that you get into a room and somebody just cracks out a new one on you. And, and you know, everybody just starts to chuckle because then you realize that you're going to have to, you know, it's, it's almost like you've learned a new word. So you have to use it with everybody else that you come across. You know, and in this show, was, uh, there was quite a few, but one was like, uh, we all know the nasolabial fold is the line that comes down from the corners of your nose down to the corners of your mouth. But uh, there's also the nasal jugal, which is the space above the nasolabial. So we, we talked about that a lot, too. The science is in service to the art, is the best way to say it, in that we create a lot of imagery. So uh, you want to try to understand it the best you can. You want to be able to come at it from a proper direction. So that when you revert to the art, when you start thinking about how it looks and if it's looking good enough, you're starting from a really grounded, strong platform. To that end, we deep dove into how light interacts with skin. It's not just as straightforward as painting a color for the skin and having light bounce off that color. We actually get into creating pigments under the layer of the skin. Uh, different, different. There are all kinds of melanin. Um, and I always butcher these words, so please forgive me. It's eumelanin, pheomelanin. And, you know, as, as Bill was saying, it's very important for us to make sure that this creature, this this character that we're creating feels 100% alive and that you can recognize it as being and a living, breathing human To understand being. the challenge, you know, we are, human beings have evolved over millions of years to be experts in the face more than anything else. You know, that's how we, as social beings, we can look at someone and uh, the slightest sh change in shape of the mouth means that this person's lying to you or that uh, there's a, the, you know, person's sick or, or ill or you know and there's there's this term called the uncanny valley that was coined just for that uh, a robotics professor in the 70s realized as as they kept making robots more real and it approached something that you thought was a real person if it wasn't 100 percent, there's almost an aversion to it because that's part of our 
the way we're wired. We're wired to, to spot that. And that's, and, and that's the key yeah. thing that's made digital human work so difficult Completely. throughout. And, and, and you actually yeah. came right to my next topic, which was yeah. the Uncanny Valley. So would you talk about how those details helped you to handle some of those really emotional close-ups, for example, when Junior is having that emotional confrontation with his adoptive father? Again, that goes back to Will Smith giving us just this incredible performance to start with. You know, we did end up creating it completely in the computer, but we we did it in support of what he genuinely did. So, you know, the way he he welled up his tears, the way way that that was all re- great reference for us to go back and and then recreate. All That's when you really saw those details exactly. that you did the research. Right, and we could study it at 120 frames a second and just see exactly how that um, how that changed, but it was to get past the uncanny valley, it's not one any one thing. It's I, I like to say it's a symphony of, of everything. Anyone get it get it wrong and it, it falls apart. You know, just all those details of how the skin reacts. Um, we say the eyes are, are the windows of the soul, and eyes are very important. I actually think that eyes have been successful for a little while in, in a lot of uh, people or creatures. You know, I thought that the the apes in Planet of the Apes were stunning. It's the the mouth has been actually. Uh, the mouth is, is ten times more complicated than any other part of the face. Just the the way the lips move and just the the softer skin texture around the lips, the way they buckle and come together. Um, you know, the there's the the neck and the, the so we we do uh, when motion capture is done, you tend to put dots on the face and you get a lot of information that way. But what happens on the neck is as important to the emotion when someone swallows that that can tell you that they're actually told a lie or they've tripped up and there's little subtle cues that come from that. So all that stuff is summed together into a, a real digital person. What we did, since we knew we had this challenge, uh, going back to when Ang first came and asked, can we do this? I felt that the technology was close enough and we could push it there. But to make sure we'd hedge our bet, the team just gathered up as much possible reference as possible. To, we, we drove our first AD to uh, to uh, to Fitz because we kept, you know, we'd do a shot and then still we'd, we'd bring Will back in and put him in the shot and have him read the line. We, we had uh, Victor there doing, you know, even though we knew he was going to be replaced, we still had him go and do the performance several times so that if ever there was a question when we're working on a shot, we could pull up a frame and say, this is what, uh, what truth looks like and here's our target. Um, because the, again, we're talking about things that are subconscious about, you know, what, what, what's right or wrong is really hard to tell without being able to put an image up side by side and say, oh, look at that. Let's talk about another scene, that fantastic motorcycle chase yeah. through Cartagena. Tell us about shooting that. Um, what's fun about it. So part of the conceit of the high frame rate is that and this this was born about uh, when Ang did Life of Pi. Actually, 3D starts to take you from the movie being up on the on the screen to now you're in that environment. And with 120 and high frame rate, it's even more so because without the without the flicker, without the motion blur, it's getting closer to what just human vision is. So he took that as a as an idea and say, well, let's let's do a motorcycle chase where you actually can be on the bike in a couple places. So we actually went to Cartagena. We, we went with the previous team, measured out the shots and, and did a, a full choreography on the real uh, real geography. And then we went to Cartagena. We had uh, uh, this fantastic rider. So we have the stunt rider who is genius, of course, but just the camera guy was riding what was called an e-bike. And we strapped this 80 pound camera onto the back of that. And he is actually 
on this bike as a cameraman just riding through traffic going up on walls and he's as talented as the uh as the stunt guys you're seeing but yeah we really filmed that uh in stereo uh in situ for a lot of those we replaced henry's head just for cases where we're close on henry riding and then with junior junior's doing the most miraculous things there's a very small number of really talented motorcycle guys. And the, the one we happened to have was only five foot, uh, five foot two. So nowhere close to, to Will's height. So we ended up replacing from him from the torso up uh, for Junior. But yeah, it's mostly real. Um, there are a couple of cases where, where CG takes over. And one of the, it was the stunt coordinator's idea to do what we called bike foo, which is let's, let's do something different. Let's see what happens if Junior uses a bike as a weapon. Um, and, you know, naturally you can't, smack a stunt guy in the face with the motorcycle that's spinning around. So we, we knew we had to get, do some digital things there. But it, we, we tried to do it as much in camera as possible and then augment CG where we, where we couldn't. And in that shoot, you were working with Oscar-winning director of photography, Dion Beebe, who shot the film. Yeah, yeah Dion was fantastic. And Dion, uh, you know, to his credit, very few people have done high frame rate. So, but he he embraced the medium. Um, he really got excited about it. You know, there's, there's a, we can talk a bit about Day for Night uh, in a little bit later, but, you know, uh, down there he... You know, he, he met the challenge and it is to, to shoot, shoot native stereo alone is a challenge for a, a cinematographer to shoot this, this particular format meant all of his lights had to be upgraded and all these other things. And, uh, but the technology never seemed to get in the way of making a beautiful image with him. And that 3d should be stated that this is not one of the movies that was post-converted. Yeah, right. You were shooting live. Yeah. We shot this live. Uh, we, with a, maybe a handful of shots where we, we didn't even do conversion. We did what we called, uh, reconstruction where in just in that the, the bike chase was a couple places where the just the cobblestones vibrated the camera so much that you know you didn't have a good good left and right pair but we still did have a, a left and right image and uh stereo d took the two and take the parts that worked and only convert and fix the parts that didn't so for, for the most part it's it's all in camera you mentioned your choice to use day for night would you elaborate on that yeah so um you know, part of the, again, the idea of high frame rate is that it's more like your human vision. It's just like you're in the space. And what Bang was interested in showing in the night scenes is that any, any one of us who have who've done photography, if you go outside and you look around with your eyes, you can see a lot of detail. And you go take a picture and all that's left are a couple dots of where there happen to be lights and the rest is black. And it's not really how night looks to a person. So if you want to show that, he, you know, he said, how do we get more detail? And what we'd end up doing is take all these scenes and we'd shoot them during the daytime. Um, and then we'd filter that down to just put them into a, a proper setting and add practical lights that, you, that you know, wouldn't be possible to film during the day, but create a look that is just really what, what you would see if you walked outside with, with no camera in between you and what you're seeing. When, uh, I think at the end, it's something really pretty to look at. And it's a night that's not the movie night that we're used to. In interviews, Ang has been careful about emphasizing that this is a digital human compared to using de-aging techniques on the existing actor, which is something that is also used right. more commonly in filmmaking. Um, how would you differentiate when you would use one technique or the other? Um, and, and I want to stress, too, the two, some, someone going to the film, uh, de-aging is process of making someone look younger. It's it's more to us, to the, the visual effects team. There is, for us, there is a difference in that Typically, when you use the term de-aging, it's the Captain Marvel example, where in that, in that case, since it was just young Samuel Jackson, they could put him in camera, have him wear, uh, wear a costume, put a wig on and a lot of makeup, and then it's a post-process on top of that to manipulate his face and to smooth out wrinkles and that sort of thing. 
Um, in this case, because he was on camera with himself, like there was 50-year-old Will and 23-year-old, we didn't have that option. Um, we had to, we knew we had to do a digital treatment. But also, because of the format, this format just shows everything. It shows, you know, paint marks on the set. So everyone's got to up their game. And actors can't wear makeup just for the purpose of uh, smoothing out blemishes because you can see that. You can see caked on makeup. And the same way, if, if we had used heavy makeup to try to smooth out his skin, that would have been completely evident uh, uh, after the fact. So for that, we had to go and build real digital skin, but, but just real, uh, re really represent youthful skin in this high frame rate format so that it didn't look makeup-y and, and that sort of thing. Guy, do you have any additional thoughts on the subject? When we think of de-aging, what we're talking about is uh, uh, traditionally it's been done with a 2D process. And what that means is that you shoot your actor. It's almost like you're applying stickers onto their face digitally of younger versions of themselves and you're pushing the face around. So you're, you're using the actual performance to, to sort of layer upon. What we did was we took it a step further based off of what Bill and Ang were telling us that we wanted to achieve on this film was that we can't go to the 99th percentile. We have to reach for the 100th percentile. So we have to have the ability to... Uh, not see any kind of flaws in the system to, to, to go beyond what is possible. To that end, we, we went full fidelity. We went to a completely digital creature, a completely digital human being. That gives us the ability to push in as close as we want to the eyes. That gives us the ability to do everything without seeing makeup or layers. But uh, it's challenging, but it definitely is worth it in the end. There's also been a broader conversation about the ethical implications of digital humans. Would you yeah. share your thoughts on that? Uh, it's any technology. This is not just it's not just in, involved in digital humans. It's anything. You know, when you can do something, you should have discussions about, you know, what that means. And and you know, there's probably a discussion to be had in the future about actors and their rights to their digital image. And we do want to be sensitive to the the deep fakes of it all and, and what's happening out there. And, and to that end, I can say at least right now, it took for us to do this. It took a team of several hundred artists two years to pull it off. You know, you can get the first 80% of the way there relatively easily, but that last 20%, which we all can tell the difference of, is incredibly hard to do. So we aren't close to someone going in their garage and just completely fooling someone that, uh, you know, some old footage is uh, and doctoring that up. You know, the, the deep fake stuff that's out there now, I find it interesting. I still look at it and think it's fake. So the, the moniker is, is apt, but uh, it's interesting. With this potential continuing to evolve, do you think there are different types of stories that we're going to start seeing coming out of Hollywood? Absolutely. I mean, it, you could bring a historical figure and have it really be. I mean, it, it's funny. The, if if I could give you the stories right now, I'd probably <laughs> I'd be making a lot of money as a screenwriter. But I, I just I get as excited reading a new script as anyone else just uh, to, to see what uh, someone's come up with. And I think our role, again, is just to show that all these things are possible and just let these incredibly creative talented people with these great imaginations and storytellers come up with things that uh, that we haven't thought of yet. You're both veterans of the visual effects business. How would you describe the state of the art? What is the business like today, the creative potential like today? Um, I think what's exciting is that visual effects is being used more and more all over the, you know, all over the map. Uh, there's uh, on television, we see the, the, the state of the art of visual effects has increased dramatically. Um, and 
you know, there there is just more and more entertainment everywhere. Uh, video games, the the level of uh, detail is uh, is better and better. You know, the logistics of doing so, of of making films, is is challenging with just how things are done around the world. And I, I do want to stress that um, visual effects is an art. So what I'd love to see is that you, you, no one no one has a second thought about um, that what a cinematographer brings to the set or what a production designer brings to the set. But visual effects brings as much to the table in terms of telling stories. Uh, coming up with new looks and, and designing things. And, and it really, it is not just a team of people, you know, we, we love to talk about the, the technology and the new gee whiz things that we're, that we're doing, but, you know, also look at what, uh, what movies would be without visual effects and just what visual effects, the art of visual effects is bringing to the table. And, uh, you know, I just love to see that, uh, recognized to the same level as, as everything else. Ang Lee is such a visionary filmmaker. He always likes to push what's possible. Having completed this film, what have you and Ang or you and Will talked about since? And are there any additional lessons learned about where our industry is heading? As far as digital humans, there's there's still, you know, we worked on this two hard years. We're, we're very happy, but, you know, we we'd still, we could still work on another two years. Uh, it, it's, uh, there's still some things to continue to improve. Some of it's in the process of acquiring, but also in just the just creation. That that's why I like doing this because there is always something new and fun to try to try to improve and advance. You know, no one ever comes to you and say, "I just want the effects that I've seen in every other film." Uh, just go. They they want something new, and that's that's the fun. Congratulations, and thank you both for joining us. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.